you just raise your hands and sing that one more time as a prayer right now? Hallelujah. You can use anything, Lord. You can use me. Yes, yes. You can use anything, Lord. You can use me. Take my hands, Lord. Take my feet. Just my heart, Lord. Speak to me. just make that our prayer right now. Lord, we thank you for your presence and your power that's in this room. We thank you, Lord, that we're not just here to take up space, take up time, Lord. We're here to be equipped by your word, fellowship with your people, but more than that, you're equipping us to go out into this world to reach a lost and dying world. Lord, I pray right now for Calcasieu Parish, over 205,000 people in this parish, and almost 50% of them say that they have no religious affiliation. Lord, I pray that you would use TPC to reach this entire parish, not just to Quincy. Come on, is somebody with me right now? Could you just make, could you just lift your hands and your voice right now? Can we pray over this region? Come on, can we pray over this parish? Can we pray over this city right now? Use this church, Lord. Use this body, God. Right now, there's lost people. God, right now, use us to speak life. Use us to encourage. Use us, Lord. Let us take what we feel in this place outside of these four walls. In Jesus' name. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, that's what I'm going to do this week. Come on, I'm going to use my witness. I'm going to use my witness. I also encourage you, just as pastor's already said, I also encourage you to take some connection cards, some, not connection cards, excuse me, some invite cards. They're a great tool. If you do have anybody knock on your door on October 31st, you can invite them. But make sure you give out good candy. Right? You know what? You, you know what? So make sure you give out the good candy. Don't give out the bad candy and then give them a church card. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. You also have notes and handouts. What a message we heard Sunday morning. I hope you were here. If you were not, I, I, I just ask you to go back and listen. How many of you were here Sunday? You heard Sunday's message. I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but please go back and hear that message because I believe that it will encourage you. And uh, I just, I know that I, as I was at home, uh, sick in my body, it was encouraging me. And uh, I'm thankful, thankful for so many of you that reached out to me and said you were praying for me. And I, I feel a lot better. I'm about 90%. So here I am in Jesus name. All I can say is I don't recommend the stomach flu. And I'll leave the details at that. Hallelujah. Galatians 5. We're in our series here on Wednesday night on the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody say the fruit of the Spirit. Tonight we're going to talk about joy. Now some of us need to let our face know joy. 
Come on, somebody. Smile when you say that. Joy. Look at your neighbor and say, joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. What? Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against their such there is no law. John 16. I know this sounds weird, but Jesus, I like to see what Jesus says about joy. Right? John 16, 19. Now Jesus knew what they desired to ask him. In other words, he knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you would not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. I'm sure that confused them. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman who, when she is in labor, the sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy, everybody say your joy, no one will take from you. Oh, I like that. And in that day you ask me nothing, but assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. But what is he saying? Ask and you shall receive. What? That your joy may be full. I want to talk to you about joy tonight. Amen. The joy that can only come from the Holy Ghost. Lord, I thank you for your presence because you're here. Just pray that you would download everything that we need tonight. Your words, your thoughts, not ours. Just speak to us tonight as only you can. In Jesus' name. If you're thankful for the word of the Lord and the joy of the Lord, before you're seated, put your hands together and thank him right now. I tried to put quite a few notes in your handout so that you wouldn't feel behind, but there's an awesome quote there, and I put that there from one of my favorite authors and speakers. He says, because of joy, your bad things will turn out for good, your good things can never be lost, and your best things are yet to come. Let me say that again. Because of joy, your bad things turn out for good, your good things can never be lost, and your best things are yet to come. As Christians, we know that Christianity is supposed to be about joy. Everybody shout joy. And the Bible clearly teaches this. There is a joy that is not based on circumstance. In other words, happiness is based on my circumstance. But that's not joy. Why? Because joy is deeply spiritual and thus it is eternal. In fact, there's a joy Jesus is saying that the deepest trouble cannot put out. And if properly nourished and nurtured can even overwhelm the greatest grief. And I know that John 16 may seem like a strange place for us to study about joy. But look, if you look at the circumstance here, I don't think that it is strange at all. Because 
Jesus is here at the end of his earthly life and he is giving the disciples a few more instructions and he's already told them, he says, I'm leaving you. And of course, they do not understand that. And many times I think that we can relate to this because we look at joy through the lens of grief, loss, questions, and pain, just like the disciples. Jesus is telling his disciples that he is leaving, that he's about to die, but that he will be back and that they will be grieving and he acknowledges their grief. But in the midst of this, they can have joy. How strange it must have sounded to these disciples. So I I believe that there's four things here, and I put those in your notes. I believe there's four things that we can get out of this text. Number one, what is the definition of joy? Number two, what is the opposite of joy? What is the counterfeit of joy? Number three, and most importantly, how do we cultivate joy in our life? So number one, what is joy? Joy is the essence of what it means to be a Christ follower. Let me say that again. Joy is the essence of what it means to be a Christ follower. If you look back at verse 22, Jesus says, I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one can take from you. What is the inference here? The inference is this. If you're following me, Jesus says, if you're calling yourself one of my disciples, anybody a follower of Jesus in this building tonight? He says, you will have joy. In other words, it's not an option. It's not negotiable. It's not something that some Christians have joy and others don't. No, Jesus is literally saying, if we are following him and the spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost is living on the inside of us, then joy is the fruit of that relationship. The, 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 the reason that Christians must have joy is that it is a characteristic of God himself. We talked about this in the introduction of this series, that joy is a result of God's spirit living on the inside of us. The fruit of the spirit is a result of our relationship with God and our intimate spiritual abiding with Jesus. Us in him and him in us. Amen. Amen. If you remember back to the Psalm series this summer, we actually talked about there are certain characteristics that are called communicable characteristics of God. In other words, those are characteristics of God that we share with him. These are things that we share. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the fruit of the spirit are things because of God's spirit living on the inside of us as new creation creatures, right? The fruit of the Spirit are things that we share with God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, self-control, and so on. These are simply attributes of God. Let me say that again. The fruit of the Spirit is us being like God and God being in us. So joy, everybody say joy, is a characteristic or an attribute of God. I think that we can be challenged. I know that modern society, especially modern Western society, can be challenged when they equate especially the God of the Old Testament with being a joyful God. But there's a remarkable passage in Proverbs 18, 8, excuse me, where it talks about wisdom, which was with God and God in the beginning and through whom all creation was created. You remember that famous verse in John chapter one, in the beginning was the what? The word and that word there in the Greek is what? Logos. Everybody say Logos. 
that's literally the Greek word for wisdom. And the word was with God. But if you go back to Proverbs 8 and you realize that Jesus is looking at himself as the divine wisdom of Proverbs 8. And you see what it says about divine wisdom. And it's pretty amazing. Wisdom says this in Proverbs 8. I was with him in the beginning and through me he created all things. It actually says in, in, and actually in verse 30 it says I was delighted. Everyone say delighted. I was delighted in mankind and I was filled with delight every day. What is God saying? God is using a word here in the Hebrew that's maybe very unusual when we think about this idea of God. It literally means delight. Everybody say delight. And in that definition of delight, it literally means to frolic. And I know that we don't talk about that. We don't talk anyway like that anymore because, but how many of you have had young children or you have young children right now? Anywhere from the age of two, three, four. Anybody? How many of you have seen your children get excited about something? Right? Especially around Christmas time or birthday time. You've seen your children get excited about something and what do they do? They start to laugh and they start to get excited and they start to jump up down and they start to clap their hands. I do that every month when the light bill is under $200. Can I get a witness? Down here in the South. Huh? But this is literally what this word means. It literally means to jump up and down and clap your hands. And here is God saying this self about himself. He's saying, I didn't just look at the creation of mankind and say, oh, yeah, not too bad. No, he's saying, I rejoice. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord takes delight in you. No, no, no. You got to hear this on a Wednesday night. I said, the Lord takes delight in you and he will rejoice over you with singing you think wait wait whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute are you talking about this god this austere serious god that doesn't sound very dignified that doesn't sound very majestic oh no i've come to tell you that it is actually very majestic why because it is the majestic joy of god it is the holy joy of god that is exactly who god is god is a god of joy Oh, I wish somebody would hear me today. You need to learn how to speak this over your life. When you're fighting depression, when you're fighting pain, when you're losing your mind, when you do not know where to turn, you need to remind yourself of this verse. God takes delight in me and he is rejoicing over me. Mm, I like that. I said God is taking delight. The, the, our challenge is we, don't, we can't see God as this father figure who delights in us. And we sell short our relationship with God. Not only is joy essential to God, but it's also essential to the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. What does the gospel literally mean? It literally means the good news. How many of you have heard that definition before? That's a good translation, but actually a better translation is the older translation in the King James. How does it translate? It says, it says good news of what? Glad tidings. Remember what the angel said at the Christmas story? Glad tidings of what? Great joy. 
What's this really mean? It means that this news is bringing joy. This is literally the news of the gospel. The gospel, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, is the greatest story that you will ever hear. Uh, It is the most transformative story that you will ever hear. Uh, It is the power of the gospel. It is the power of God's life and death and birth and resurrection living on the inside of us. uh, And it should bring us great joy. I mean, who, who am I talking to today? Uh, that may, maybe we forget where God brought us from. Uh, maybe we forget where God dug us out of. Uh, maybe we forget where God found us. Huh? I once was dead, but now I am alive. Why? Because the power of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, that's good news. I'm a great fan of J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy and maybe some of you have read that. Some of you have seen the, the movies. Uh, tremendous understanding of, of writing. I, just, I won't go into all of that. But he, he, before, right before he passed, he wrote a, a, not a story, but a paper, not a book, but really a paper, an, an analogy, an understanding of his theology of fiction. And he says something I think that's very tremendous, that's important to us tonight. He says the gospel story, this idea that we have been living in a world of darkness and sin and we're on our way to a place of doom and gloom and destruction. And all of a sudden, in the middle of human history, a hero shows up. Someone comes breaking into our world and it takes on our doom. And it looks like at the very end that maybe he himself has been lost as well. And it looks like he's been defeated. But on the third day, he rises again and he snatches victory out of the jaws of defeat. And he triumphs and he puts down evil. And it turns out that he's not the weakling that everyone thought he was, but he is the great king. And not only has he come once, but he's coming again. And Tolkien says that the essence of every story that we have ever loved from children's fairy tales as a kid all the way through the great movies that tell these kind of stories of superheroes and all of these cosmic clashes between good and evil, every novel, every myth, every fairy tale, every movie, every TV show that have all of these kinds of situations and circumstances in them. Tolkien says that at the essence of every single good story we've ever had is this under Understanding that it is actually an imitation of the truest hero story and that hero story is the power of the gospel. And he says the only difference between the gospel and all of these other stories uh, is all of those other stories are a myth. But the gospel is not a myth. It is a fact. I said the gospel is not a myth. And it is a fact. And we would do ourselves good, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to believe and understand what the gospel is. The gospel is not some myth. It's not some escapist fiction. It's not some misunderstanding. It's not some fairy tale. It is the truth about a God who broke in to the doom and the gloom of a broken world and who brings the ultimate story of joy. That's what joy really is about. And if you see that and you reject it, you're facing despair. Why? Everything else 
is a dead end. There are no answers. There is no hero at the end of the story. There's no triumph at the end. There's no victory snatched out of the jaws of the defeat. There's no triumph over right, over wrong. Why? Because at the end, the only story that's a fact is the gospel. If you find yourself a desire and a longing for a joy, nothing on this earth can satisfy. Maybe you weren't built just for earth. Maybe you were created for something bigger than this earth. Maybe you were built for something bigger than this life. You see, until you find what that greater thing is and until you actually put your hope in heaven and your hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will never be able to feel the hole that is there in your life. You will never know joy. Never know joy. The second thing we must understand is that joy, the opposite of joy is actually, and it's not specifically there in your notes, but it is later in the recap. The opposite of joy is not sadness. It's hopelessness. Let me say that again. The opposite of joy is not sadness. It's hopelessness. It's very clearly taught through the words of Jesus and all the way throughout the Bible The opposite of joy is not sadness. And the reason that we know this is that the Bible is constantly showing us that our joy is so great that it can coexist with our sadness. Our joy in God is so great that it can overlap our sorrow. He uses the example of a woman who gives birth. Verse 21, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish. Why? Because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, ladies, I got a question for you. Did the pain immediately cease the moment the child was born? You don't have to answer. I was there. Right? What happens? The pain is still taking place. But the joy of a brand new life is overlapping the pain and the sorrow of what you're going through. And so now the mother who has given birth temporarily forgets her pain, but it doesn't mean that the pain is gone. What has happened? Joy, Jesus says, has now overwhelmed the pain. And the relief doesn't mean that the whole body is not aching and throbbing because of what has just happened to it, but there is a joy. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying this. Let me help you very carefully here tonight. If you live in the human condition of this world, pain and sorrow will not go away. Let me say that again. If you live in the human condition of this world, none of us are exempt from pain and sorrow. Can I get an amen? Amen. Many Christians have made a tremendous mistake. In fact, a lot of people, when they come, especially first into the church, they, when they begin to talk about God or consider God for the first time, to, to, they don't just become because they're here to say to themselves and to God that they are sinners who need forgiveness. They don't see themselves as rebels against God who need to lay down cosmic arms. No, they simply see themselves as sufferers who need fixing, not dead people who need raising. And so very often there's a tendency for those people to come. And many of us have done the same way in our infancy in God. And we say, if I give myself to God, in other words, if I will just do this, surely all of the pain and the sorrow of my life will go away. Ladies and gentlemen, I hate to burst your bubble. There's nowhere that that says that in the New Testament. The Bible doesn't say that you'll be saved and immediately all your problems are going away. I wish it did, but it doesn't. 
Oh, I want to be more like Jesus. Well, Jesus was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. But Hebrews 12 says something very interesting. He says what? For the sake of joy that was set before him, he still ran the race. What does this mean? For the sake of joy that was set before him, he ran the race that included the suffering of the cross. Why? Because there was a joy there that was going to overwhelm his suffering. He had a joy. I said he had a joy. He had an understanding of what was about to take place when the finished work of the cross happened. He understood that the eternity of millions and billions of people was going to be paid for because of his pain and his sorrow. But that does not mean that he did not go through pain. What does that look like for us as followers of Jesus Christ? When we become followers of Jesus and we allow our heart to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, what happens? The Bible says that my heart is a stone. Everybody say a stone. Ezekiel 26, my heart is a stone and that heart of stone is taken away and I'm given a what? A regenerated heart, a heart that is soft. In other words, a heart that can understand and be applicable in the hands of God. Only when you have a soft heart do you begin to see the sin in your own life like you didn't before. Let me say that again. Only when you have a soft heart, a heart that has been regenerated. Everybody say regenerated. What does that mean? That means at one time it was a rock and it was dead. But now your heart has been regenerated through the power of the gospel. And now you are what? Alive. Some of you, this is a side note, but you might want to write this down. Some of you are treating people who are unregenerated like they're regenerated. In other words, you're dealing with people who have stony hearts and you forget that their hearts are not regenerated. And so what we do is we treat those people like they know they should be knowing better, but that's not what God is saying. He said, it's only when your heart of stone turns to what? A heart of flesh. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So you don't rationalize your own sin anymore. You don't start to blame others anymore. Right? You have to say, no, that's my sin and that's my fault. And, but at the same time, here's the line that we walk as believers. There is a sorrow to the understanding of our sin, but there is an overwhelming joy through the power of the gospel. And then we begin to look around at the people in our life and we see our people around us who are dashing themselves against their own selfishness and pride. And we see spiritual insanity and people out of touch with reality. And the Bible says that they have been blinded by the gods of this world. And while they are blinded, they're walking around being brutalized by this life. But if we have a heart after God, ladies and gentlemen, people who are lost should matter to us and it should grieve us there should be a holy sorrow for those of us, those that are around us that do not know the God of joy so that's what I'm talking about and that's what Jesus is talking about he's saying look this life is not going to be exempt from sorrow and from pain but I'm talking about a joy that is not circumstantial that is not tied to a temporary happiness that is not tied to a 
location or a thing or a taste or a flavor or a hit or a moment. I'm talking about a joy that is eternal. So it doesn't matter what you're facing now. You have your eyes turned toward eternity and you can say, God, I may not understand it right now, but today I choose joy. I get up on Monday morning and and I choose joy. I'm going to get up on Thursday morning and I'm going to choose joy. It's getting about that time. That once or twice time of year where we learn how to turn on the heater once again in the south. It only happens a couple times a year. If you're at my house, the thermostat on the AC goes up and extra blankets go on, right, before the heater comes on. Many times in the south, we wake up to a cold house and the heat is not on. And when we turn it on, it takes a while to warm us up. I think that's how we go through our lives so many times. We see our lives who may be overwhelmed by the cold of sorrow. But we have to allow the furnace of joy to overwhelm what is overwhelming us. And the closer that we get to God and we get deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Ghost, the greater that the furnace of joy burns. A true picture of a solid believer in Jesus is not someone who goes around being happy, happy, happy all the time because Jesus is in my heart. No, that's not a true, real picture. The picture of a real Christian is a person who has the furnace of joy on the inside of them. And when sorrow kicks in, when the coldness of this world tries to overwhelm us, when pain and sorrow and suffering come against us and we don't understand it, we have to stoke the fire of the Holy Ghost I said we have to stoke the fire of the Holy Ghost we have to stop and say God I may not understand what's happening I don't understand this sickness in my body I don't understand this doctor's report I don't understand this broken marriage I don't understand why my children are far from you but today I'm going to stoke the fire of the Holy Ghost today I'm going to dive deeper into your presence you said in your presence is the fullness of joy so if that's the place of the fullness of joy that's the place that I'm going to I've got to get a hold of something deep within my life and my soul and say God I choose joy I choose joy I choose to understand that I can live in joy Joe, what are you doing? You lost your mind. I thought you were a righteous man. Has God turned his back on you? If we saw someone falling to the ground and ripping their clothes off and rolling around in ashes with burlap, scraping their head from the bowls, we would have a tendency, well, obviously, to say that that person has no faith. What's wrong with that person? That person has obviously lost it. But the Bible says, even in the middle of all of that, Job sinned not. What does that mean? Even in the midst of deep sorrow and deep loss and deep pain and deep anguish, we can tap into a source and a fountain of joy. I said we can tap into a source and a fountain from joy. 
What is counterfeit joy? Counterfeit joy is circumstantial happiness. Let me say that again. Counterfeit joy is circumstantial happiness. Number three, joy is permanent and deep. Look back at verse 22. He says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And listen to what Jesus says. And no one will do what? Be able to take away your joy. So the mark of real joy is that it is not subject to my circumstance. What is Jesus saying? He's saying if your joy is rooted and grounded in your experience with me, then circumstances are not the things that really give you your greatest security, your greatest identity, and your greatest joy. You see, if your joy is founded in me, he's saying, I am the Lord God and I change not. Your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your spouse is going to change. Your boss is going to change. The stock market's going to change. The White House is going to change. CNN and Fox News, it's all going to change. All of it is going to change. And if everything you have resting in is that, then people, places, and things are going to take away your joy. But he's saying, if you'll put your joy in me, what is this? We'll get to this in just a second. But what does this literally truly mean? Put your joy in the understanding of what I've done for you in salvation. Pastor's been preaching to it for to, to us for, for several weeks here, getting us to try to understand what God has done for us. That God is not against us, that He is for us. Do, do you believe that? I, I believe that. Maybe it's taken you a while to grasp that. I think that we need to keep preaching it. God is for you. He's not against you. How do I know that? He paid the price for your salvation. Why would he be against something that he paid for? You know how something, how something is determined in its value? It's determined in its value by who owns it and who paid for it. God created you. He owns you. Jesus Christ paid for you. So he owns you. So you are of an infinite worth. Don't let the enemy creep into your ear and tell you, oh, well, you forgot where you came from. You forgot about so-and-so. You forgot about this and that. You forgot about that sin way back in 1976. No, don't let the evil one creep into your mind and your spirit and berate your identity. No, sometimes you got to make a choice. I said, sometimes you got to make a choice. You got to get yourself up and look yourself in the mirror. It may not be a pretty sight in the morning. Can you see this guy first thing in the morning in the mirror? I promise you, I thank God for a wife that loves this old bald head. But sometimes you just got to remind yourself, it's not about me. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for me. It's not about all my failures. It's not about all my past. It's not about all my yesterdays. It's not about all my past and my addictions and my brokenness. No, it's about what Jesus Christ has done for me and my identity is rooted and grounded in that here's the challenge I'm going to preach this one day and pastors already alluded to it here's the challenge for most of us who have grown up in church we're still trying to save ourselves now I don't have time to preach that but we're still trying to save ourselves so I want to ask you a question at what point are you saved 
Just ask him. Because some of us are working so hard to save ourselves. When Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. Tell us, do you understand that word? It's finished. What does that mean? It's completely paid for. What's completely paid for? Your redemption and your salvation. That's where my joy comes from. I said, that's where my joy comes from. My joy comes from the understanding that he paid the price for my salvation. My joy comes from the understanding that on the third day, he didn't stay in the grave, but he got up. My joy comes from the understanding that one day he's coming back and he's going to put all the things that are wrong. He's going to turn them into right. He's going to redeem and restore all things. That's what I'm talking about when I say my joy, joy in God is permanent, permanent. I can't even talk now. Is that okay? Permanent. Help me out. Permanent. And it's deep and it's eternal and joy is holy. I want to help you with something though. Jesus didn't die to make you happy. Come on. That's right. Come on. He died to give you joy. And he didn't die to make you safe. What does that mean? He didn't just die for us to come to church and check the box and say, I've done that for the week and go on our merry way. No. He died to make you dangerous. To push back. I said to push back against the spiritual darkness of this world. There's a very famous verse that we love to quote, even to the point that if I didn't quote it word for word, you could paraphrase it. It's Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And we stop right there. And then we go on down, Pastor, and we quote verse 35. What shall separate me from the love of God? Shall tribulation or hardship or persecution? This is my bishop's voice. I don't don't know if it's very good or not. It's translating, but... Our persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And the challenge with all of us, I'm talking about the guy preaching too, is without the context of the whole chapter, you don't understand what Paul's saying. And it makes it sound like everything is good if we'll just believe in Jesus and be happy. And that's not what he's saying. In fact, what he is saying is actually the opposite. He's saying, hey Romans, I want you to know that you're going to go through all these things. I want you to know, Church of North America, you're going to go through all of these things. And yet your joy can still be full. It literally goes back to the quote that I shared with you at the very beginning. Because of joy, your bad things turn out for good and your good things can never be lost. And your best things are yet to come. Only God has the capacity to take something that was meant to destroy our faith and turn it into something that is good and take us and turn it into something that is better. That doesn't mean we are exempt from those things. It means that our joy is not based on the temporary things of this world. Let me tell you something. If joy was tied to a temporary circumstance, I would have lost my joy fighting for two and a half years over five kidney stones. One of them was half an inch. 
Come on, I'm not talking about just a little pebble. Why? Because we have the tendency to say when we get into circumstances and situations, we begin to question the goodness of God in the middle of a temporary circumstance. Let me help you tonight. Everything in this world that we put our trust in more and draw more comfort from other than Jesus will fail us. But that which is truly good and produces joy in our life cannot be lost. <laughs> oh, you got to. Oh, I hope you're hearing me today. Number four, joy is really produced by our relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Ghost. How do we cultivate joy? And I won't get to finish this, but I want to throw this in. How do we develop joy? The, the understanding that I've talked to you about tonight is obviously it can be a challenge to develop and keep and maintain and cultivate joy in our life. But it really comes to the degree that we are obeying and knowing Jesus Christ intimately. First of all, obedience produces a clear conscience. You know, a major reason why most people don't have joy is they don't have a clear conscience. You ever had anything bother you? You can't figure it out? Am I, am I the only one? <laughs> you had something bother you, you can't figure it out? Till the Lord reminded you and you could repent of it, Right? And then your conscience was clear of that. You know, the freedom that you felt, the uplifting that you felt, the encouragement that you felt is why? Because your conscience was clear. You know why a lot of people, I got to close. You know why a lot of people don't have joy in the church? It's because they have unforgiveness. And they, have, they live in a place of unforgiveness and resentment. And they don't understand why they don't have joy in their life. You know what, un, you know what unforgiveness reminds me of? It's like, how many of you had a bucket of, of water and you discovered there's a, there's a crack in the bottom of the bucket? Anybody? And you desperately needed the bucket. How, how many of you had that experience? Anybody? Brother Jason had that experience before? You desperately needed the bucket, but there was a crack in the bucket. And every time you filled the bucket, what happened? Stuff cut coming out of the bucket. And that's exactly what happens to us when we have unforgiveness in our life and things in our life where we don't have a clear conscience. It creates a hole in our soul. Who am I talking to here? I'm trying to help you tonight. There's, it creates a hole in our soul. And we keep trying to fill our life with the joy of the Lord. And guess what? It keeps leaking out. You wonder why all the joy is supposed to be coming in and all the joy is coming in. You wonder where it's at, but the bucket doesn't get any fuller. But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, obedience to Jesus Christ brings about a clear conscience. Another reason why obedience to Christ brings joy is because Jesus is constantly talking about it. John 15, 10. I love this. These, I've just been living in, in John 14, 15, 16, 17 here lately. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. 
just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. And look at verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy, what, may be in you and your joy may be complete. Paul would tell the Romans in Romans 14, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter anymore of eating and drinking, but it's of righteousness, peace, and joy. Where? In the Holy Ghost. What is Paul saying? He's saying our ultimate satisfaction will not be in the physical things of this world, like what we can eat or drink, but the true measure of God's kingdom is revealed in our heart through the spirit of God living on the inside of us. How many of you were excited to see the Astros win the other night? Woo! Come on, somebody. Oh, that's okay. You, you didn't think we could talk about that in the house of the Lord. But you're excited. You're just like, yeah. You're excited, right? You were excited, the euphoria. The euphoria of seeing a victory. Going to the World Series. We've wiped out. The Yankees, of all people. Woo! And you know what? On Monday morning, when you had to go to work, you forgot about all that euphoria. Right? You forgot about all of it. Why? It was tied to a temporary circumstance. And if, hey, and let me tell you something. It excites me. It excites me to think, because I'm from, I'm, I'm an H-Town man. I'm, I'm there, man. 20-something years. I was born there. I'm the original, right? It excites me to think that they could win another World Series and prove all the haters wrong that 2017 wasn't just about banging trash cans. But you know what, Brother Jeff? If they do, when they do, Lord, let it be if they do. God's got people praying in Philadelphia. God's got people praying in Houston. I don't think the Lord's very concerned at all. But we'll, 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 we'll jump up and down. We'll be excited. In, in Houston, you can even go to Academy at midnight. They're going to be open. As soon as it's over, go get your World Series gear. The year they won the World Series of 2017, I was, I was up. It was, it was really late. I was actually having to fly to Phoenix the next morning like at 6 something. I wanted to go to Academy so bad and get my World Series t-shirt. I was so excited, man. You know what, though? As excited as I was that night, Brother Ashton, a few hours later, it didn't matter. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. glory. I feel some of your witness. Come on, I know who my cowboy friends are. In fact, I wore a cowboy shirt over here today. I almost wore it tonight just to help some of you. If they ever make it back to the Super Bowl, maybe after Jerry Jones retires, and they win, Pastor, we'll dance, we'll shout, we'll be excited. A few hours later, It'll be gone. You hear me? It'll be gone. As you stand here tonight, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through. 
(laughs) But Paul says this. He says, whatever you're going through, it's temporary for the weight of glory that's coming. I wish I could have finished this. I said, it's temporary for the weight of glory that's coming. So whatever you're dealing with, going through, here's what I'd love to do. I know we, the singers have gone upstairs, but I'd love to pray for you. If you're here today and you just simply say, Lord, I, I need encouragement and maybe my joy level just is a little low tonight. Could you just walk to the front of this building? Could you just be honest? I know we got some prayer elders here and some people that are going to help us. I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Come on, just keep coming. Just keep coming. Don't be afraid. What did pastor say? It's only what will be revealed will get healed. Amen. Only those who brave step out. Lord, I just thank you that our joy is not tied to the things of this world. Our joy is deeply eternal. You said in your word, in your presence, there's a fullness, there's an understanding of joy that cannot be achieved, felt, and understood in this world. So many times, Lord, we go from high to high, temporary moments of happiness and euphoria. And Lord, I know there's nothing wrong with that. You created that. You delight in that for us. But God, sometimes too, we're going through things. And I just feel from yesterday, I feel like you just deposited in my spirit. There's some people here that their joy level is low. And I thank you, Lord, that you're here to encourage them and strengthen them. So, God, I pray right now through the power of the Holy Ghost that you begin to strengthen, renew, restore all things in our life and allow us to see you as we've never seen you before. A God of joy. Could you just stretch your hands toward heaven right now and begin to pray? all over this place. Lord, come on, pray, pray. I pray for the spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost. I pray for the fervency and the furnace of joy to burn deep within our lives, to burn past our sorrow, burn past our pain, burn past our disappointment. Lord, I pray and speak over people who are living in disappointment right now relationships have failed situations have failed jobs have failed families have failed spouses have failed them and they've tied it to their understanding of who you are in their life Lord but I've come to declare you have never failed us you've never failed us and so Lord we just want to take a moment in gratitude because we know gratitude is a weapon and we just want to say thank you thank you that you never left me thank you in my darkest hour I always knew you were there thank you when I called your name in the midnight hour you always have shown up it may not have been like I wanted it to but you've always been there so I just want to say thank you thank you thank you thank you Thank you. Come on, let a thanksgiving come out of your lips right now. 
Let that become a weapon of your warfare right now. I believe that in the Holy Ghost. Somebody's fighting spiritual warfare. Thank you. Thank you. What do I have to be thankful for? I got clothes on my back. Thank you for food on my table. Thank you for the car that I drove up here today. Thank you when I woke up this morning, Lord. You woke me up in my right mind. Thank you that I take my next breath. Thank you that I've got a clear thought. Thank you that I'm going to a job tomorrow. Thank you that I got a family that loves me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In impossibility, I speak to you right now through the power of the Holy Ghost uh, and say to you, you are temporary. You are temporary. And I'm going to come through what I'm going through. Thank you. Thank you. If you believe the word of the Lord, could you just raise your hands one more time and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for joy. Thank you for joy. Thank you for joy. I choose joy. I choose joy. I choose joy. Oh, I wish you just let it come out of your mouth. It's all right. Say, David, you don't know what I'm going through. I dare you to declare it over your situation. I choose joy. Lord, I thank you that you delight over me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're dancing and singing over me. That's what your word says. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wasn't that rich? I think us Pentecostals, I think we mean well, but I think sometimes we get too caught up in the emotion of an altar service and we don't take time to let that word just sink in. So all I need you to do is just be here one more minute and just say, Lord, would you let this word go beyond my head, Lord? This word go beyond my head, Lord. <laughs> Let it get into my heart. Oh, God. Thank you, Lord. presence there's fullness of joy let's 
see everything is trying to disrupt you from your phone, your earbuds, your TV, Fox, from getting in His presence because we're not comfortable with silence. We've taught you how to raise your hands, but we haven't taught you how to get still and let God love on you. Father, help us to get more comfortable with stillness and quietness so that you, Lord, can love on us, pour back into us so that we have something to pour out. Jesus' mighty name. Father, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant. Thank you for all of your wonderful people. Thank you for this incredible community. And God, Help us to reach it. We were reminded a large percentage of this parish claims no religious affiliation. So Lord, put us at the right place at the right time. Help us to have the right word of wisdom, the right word of encouragement. We thank you for it. Give us all a good night's rest tonight. Help us to wake up in the morning refreshed, ready to face the day. To live it out as your ambassadors. In Jesus' mighty name. Man, I wish I could hug every one of you tonight in the righteousness of Christ. Just hug you. Let you know how much God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. What does He want from me? He just wants you to surrender to Him. How do I do that? Just say, God, here I am. I don't know that much. I don't know how to do it, but here I am. Here I am, God. Here I am. Here we are, Lord. Take us and use us for your kingdom. Help us to be the hands and the feet. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for being in God's house. Would you in a godly way, would you turn around and not in a flippant way or in a jovial way, but in a godly way, would you give some love away to somebody? Shake their hand. What does that mean? It just means shake their hand or hug their neck if they allow you to do that. Tell them you're glad to see them tonight. God bless you.